0: Welcome to His Audible Materials, a podcast presented by Backroom Whispering Productions covering HBO's series His Dark Materials. This episode covers episodes one and two Lyra's Jordan and the Idea of North.
1: Editor's note some parts of this recording were lost due to technical difficulties. First, we'll start with a spoiler free section. Then you'll hear some music and we'll move into the spoiler section,
2: which involves content from all the books. Oh yeah. Sepia tones and Tom Hooper. Yeah.
0: Tom Hooper and, uh,
2: yeah. His color story, which I totally agree. His color story is very like sepia toned muted. It does sort of fit Oxford only in that when you go there, a lot of the buildings, whatever stone it is that they use does almost have a kind of sepia tone to it. I mean, it's really cool if you're there on a beautiful day and it's contrasted against a blue sky, but if, if you're doing it in the weather, kind of like most British weather, reasonably just cloudy. Um It does end up looking almost washed out.
1: Man. Yeah, but I, I wish I'd seen a contrast, though, when What's-Her-Name-The-Bad-Guy. Because I already figured out the bad guy. Oh. guy. Liz like, Coulter, yeah. Or when they're, they're on the, bl- like, just to see color contrast. But even in the, the trailers for the next episode, it's all muted, which is going to drive me crazy. Yeah. It actually reminds me, like, a Watchmen or 300, where it's, just, it's very... <laughs> A very Zack show. Snyder look. Yeah, yeah, just like very mute, and I don't I, that I don't like, and that's one thing I don't like about Tom Hopper's Hooper's movies, like they, mm. which it fits like the King speech fits, you know. Yeah, I agree. Uh, maybe maybe Dan- I don't think it fit really with Danish girl, but like I said, Wally Miz, it's also very like he yeah. loves Legend, which I am not a fan of because I can tell that there's gonna be scenes where they're gonna be in the outdoors or they're gonna mm-hmm. be in a right place. So I can already foretell that it's, it's not gonna have the same impact as if you see the two colors, because yeah. I think it'd be cool to be like Oxford is muted, but then like certain things are like brighter, you know. I yeah, wish I mean, the uh, oh, sorry, go ahead, Chris.
0: Oh no, I was saying we caught a little bit in the preview of we're gonna be going north. They're gonna be yeah. in the yeah. snow, where that's you're already now you're even compressing the color palette further mm-hmm. down where it's just yeah, like white.
2: I was going to say that I wish the Egyptians had had more color. That's where I wanted to see big, bold colors, because that community to me, and this could just be me, I expected to have this kind of warmth and bright colorfulness to them. And I was a little surprised at how, while they had some color, they were just as muted as Oxford. <laughs> and, I, and I agree with, I wish Miss Coulter had a bit more pop of color to her. Which she's supposed to come try. in. is so glamorous. I was like, I want
1: to see colors and like glitter and something. Yeah, and they, they did try with the green. But again, when you are muting the whole camera palette, like the whole, when you're muted, the whole scene, it doesn't pop. Yeah. Like, or like you said, um, like when the Egyptians are leaving, make them bright, like make an actual, you know, um, directorial decision of like, we're leaving Oxford to another world. So now everything's going to be brighter. You know, like I said, yeah. just like, Like an actual change, kind of like Wizard of Oz kind of thing, you know. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Color.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, we are going to London first. (laughs) That's probably going to be pretty dreary. I don't know how colorful they'll be able to make London, (laughs) especially (laughs) London
1: of that world. Well, you know, Harry Potter thing, like when he goes to Diagon Alley. You know, Mm -hmm. even though it's in London, it's bright and it's interesting and it's warm. You know, like I said, to make that contrast.
2: Yeah. It is almost like, as much as we know that Tom Hooper does love that muted color palette, just sort of regardless, Mm -hmm. I almost, like, if it weren't Tom Hooper, I would almost think it was a deliberate aesthetic choice to establish that this is going to be a reasonably, like, cold and harsh story. I mean, I think Philip Pullman has even said he wasn't really writing books for children. And having worked in a bookstore, I know this is the only one of, like, what I'll call, like, the big major sort of fantasy series of, like, our childhood that I've seen shelved simultaneously in three sections, which is middle grade, uh, young adult, and also adult, because they just don't know where to put it. Because he frequently says, like, I didn't write this for children, but well, it has child protagonists.
1: So My last note was when they were showing, like, the kids in the, the what's his, what's the friend's name? Oh, no, no, yeah. Roger. In a cage. I, I actually, I, or Roger, I actually wrote. This was a children's book, because I was like, holy, holy. Crap, if I had read, you know, it's a terrifying thing, children being stolen and put into cages.
2: Oh, yeah, and it's, I love how they brought in the gobblers. It's like, it's all from the children that you hear it from, which yeah. is sort of how it starts in the book. There is a lot more time spent in Oxford sort of setting up Lyra as this rebellious, almost like feral, wild child at times. And they definitely constantly talk about the gobblers, like hearing that kids have been snatched. And I do like that they found a way to truncate that into this first episode, because it's like, we got to bring them up. And the way they showed them, or just their demons, oh my God, it was chilling. That that fox demon with like glowing eyes, I was like, oh no, oh no, I don't like this at all. That's creepy. That's so creepy.
0: Well, that's a good, maybe that's a good transition. So we can, we go into, so we have this, the scene with.
1: Well, we're establishing. Yeah lyra and roger
0: roger is friends and as
1: they they're just like running around oxford because they're the only children so they're just running around
0: yeah around the yeah the jordan college area and then we move into the scene with the sort of coming of age ceremony where the egyptian child is given a ring
1: no i thought we were first one i thought was when he he's in antarctica oh yeah we 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 do uh, flash to lord asriel out
2: in the north yeah which is so interesting um because that's stuff that we don't get in the book i mean he and i think it was smart to show it because otherwise he'd have to explain a lot more of what he was doing i mean the whole was one of the scenes i follow is his big presentation basically to all the scholars
1: Mm -hmm. and
2: in that in the book it's a lot longer he's talking a lot longer about what's going on and what he did and so by showing it in the show they can say, yeah, we don't need to tell you that he was like taking photographs and up there and it was dangerous, yeah. all that jazz. We've shown it to you. Now let's get into what's the importance of what he's photographing and what he's finding. And I will say, James McAvoy, I love him in general, but I really love him in this character. He wasn't who I would have originally imagined um, as much as we pretend the movie doesn't exist. Daniel Craig was a great casting choice. Um, I forever cry. Um, yeah. But James McAvoy really stepped into that role of playing Lord Azrael, because he's a really complicated character.
0: Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see, you know, I think, you know, without trying to get too much away. But I, I also, I really, I really like the choice and the choice that, that he was making. Because I, you mm-hmm. know, I visioned in my mind of like a big, a big guy, like a big, strong guy. And that's not James McAvoy, but the, the energy that he had seemed really appropriate for Azrael. The intensity This
2: just like drive and focus and determination and sort of unyielding will of like, I will get my way and I will use force if I have to, but I'm going to get my way. And especially bringing out the flashes of almost like cruelty that Azrael has, because that was something I always definitely picked up from the book is that he's not necessarily a nice man. Even Lyra, I mean, he threatens to break her arm. He's like, I will break your arm before any of this. And he just says it with like, you know, he means it. And that was one thing I was glad McFoy was able to get across, because I'd never really seen him do a role where I truly thought that
1: he could capture that bit of Azrael. The flashes he, of the, like, you're not nice. Yeah, see, I didn't catch that. I I see his character as, like, well-meaning, but, like, hard. So, like, I didn't believe he was going to break her arm, but I do believe he was going to hurt her. Like, mm-hmm. not, like, not permanently, like, but pull the arm enough so it's, like, Kind of like when you pull a kid's ear, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I got that more from McAvoy. Like, he doesn't want to be hard, but life or the situation has made him kind of hard. Um, mm-hmm. That's that, that's just the impression I got. No, that's interesting, and that's so important. I mean, especially
2: as we go through the seasons and we get into stuff like the third book, because Azriel, like I said, he's a really complicated character. And since we're in the non-spoiler section, we can't really talk about it. Yeah. And there was a beautiful emotional quality to what McAvoy was doing. There was this almost like pain that yeah. like what that he's doing like he knows he has to be mean but he doesn't want to be which yeah. um I did catch at points mainly in, in the scene where you know he's leaving for the north and Lyra is very upset with him. Uh, there was a lot more emotion in that scene than I ever would have imagined but for me I will say the breaking of the, the threat into breaking the arm I was like ooh I think you got it dude. I like Mm, for a second, I believed it. Though, um, probably didn't hurt that, you know, his demon was snarling at the same time. And I was like,
1: mm-hmm, mm, yeah. he's angry. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm not messing with that. So I did have a question, because we see the blimps everywhere. So my question was, they have metal blimps, but they have old-timey cameras? Yeah, that's a really good question. I wanted to, definitely wanted to talk
2: about that kind of as a general look of the show. Yeah, it's, like, it definitely has this steampunk vibe, which the books definitely have. But the books were way more almost, like, Victoriana in style. Like, it felt older. Um, And, like, hence, like, he lands in a helicopter. And my first thing was, wait, what? When did we get helicopters? What did I miss?
0: (laughs) Yeah, that was kind of jarring for me when I saw that, too, is it was uh, all right. Because I remember, you know, the... The word that they use in the book is gyrocopter, yeah, a old timey kind of Da
1: Vinci kind of,
0: right? Versus that was like a Huey, like that was that was a more much more modern looking. Well, uh, again,
1: the blimps are metal, like that's a, you know, it's not like an old timey blimp, Mm -hmm. like it was. It wasn't very eighteen hundred steampunk. It's very. It kind of reminded me of, like, Man in the High Castle, like, something happened happened in our past, and instead of developing planes, we developed blimps, and, like, some of the technology went forward, but some of it didn't, so that's why we have the old-timey cameras, but we have the metal blimps, like... Yeah, which definitely the book gives.
2: Um, Like I said, I I always felt it was a little more Victoriana because it seemed a little just slightly older. And I think I read somewhere online that they deliberately made the choice to slightly modernize the world a little more from the books. So I kind of expected, okay, it probably won't look like we're in like 1910 or anything. But I will say the helicopter threw me so much. I was like, whoa, um, that's a very modern looking copter, sir.
1: Um, it, it but we funny have <laughs> it's funny because someone that hasn't read the books, like I, it didn't register as odd to me.
0: Well, it's sure. good. It seems like they're, so at least to somebody who's coming in cold, they're keeping a consistent yeah. look, or at least one that's explainable. Like you said, you made the connection in your mind, like, all right, this is a world where certain things are more advanced yeah, than others. Than others and, yeah. Um, okay. So let's, I want to talk about demons. So <laughs> let's, let's, <laughs> let's talk about demons. Talk about demons. <laughs>
1: um i had a lot of questions yeah a lot that. of questions
0: <laughs> so what you know what was your impression of the way that the demons were kind of shown and and how well what what, you know, what we, did you get out of that well we
1: talked about cgi it was gorgeous cgi yeah. like lyra whenever he turns into a snow weasel or whatever like it, i mean it there's just really well done like it doesn't feel that jarring um, like other animals we've seen on CGI, so you can see how much the technology has really grown. Like even in Game of Thrones, when you would see the direwolves, you could tell there's a green screen, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, you it's really really come far. So that was cool. But as far as like them as characters, like I have like I wrote like are they are they soulmates? Um, do they act like a conscience or like a friend? Uh, once a daemon decides to keep the form does that mean that their puberty begins or does that mean their puberty is over because you know you had that scene with the egyptians when the boy's like he is now made a form so you're a man it's like, does that mean that he is now like like he's in his 20 or 18 right like the puberty is officially over or <laughs> and then with uh, the kid the kid that goes missing billy
0: yeah, uh, well, there's, yeah, there's, yeah, there's Egyptian kid, Egyptian. That goes into, which is Billy. Yeah, okay. Billy Cosby.
1: So I was also wondering if the Damon rep- demon represents the kid's personality, because his was like the tiny little animal, very scared, you know, while, like I said, we see like um, Asriel's, you know, snow leopard thing and, you know, the falcon or whatever. So I also wondered if it re- represents, uh, you know, their personality. So they are. are the that That's I it. haven't, the show hasn't answered yet, but, you know, uh, those are just questions I have, but. I mean, overall... those are really good
2: questions.
1: Cause they're yeah. really, cause I mean, it's stuff that
2: it's like, oh, the show's probably going to reveal it. But at yeah. the outset, if you're not familiar with the world, you're like, wow, what are they? Um, yeah. I can't say it's not a spoiler to answer that. Yes. The demons are reflections of their personalities when they settle. Oh. Absolutely. Like 100%. There's a really good conversation in the book, I think later on, which I doubt we'll get to in the show, because it's one of those things that doesn't affect the plot. It's just a fun conversation okay. where they talk about um, how, you know, some people might be restless because if they don't think that their demon fits their personality, which is the idea of like you're denying your true nature. Um, so a guy who, you know, doesn't want to go at sea, but has like a fish demon. <laughs> it's like, just yeah. embrace it. You're a water dude. Just, just go, man. But, and they are kind of equal parts, like conscience, wor- soulmates. I mean, they're they're quite literally manifestations of the person's soul into a physical form. It's just which is yeah. so wild to think of.
0: Yeah. So, well, like I said, I didn't want to go like go into too much of that. Uh, but let's, you know, I think I think in general, as far as look and feel, I, like I said, the demons were really really well done, very seamless where they were changing. You know, yeah. when kids were running looked really seamless. Uh, again, not to talk about the movie too much, but like <sighs> better. You can tell the has come a long way in the last oh, 10 yeah.
2: years. Oh yeah. even just with the mouths moving, it's gotten better.
0: Yeah. So we'll we'll keep, you know, keep an eye out as far as like said, so those are good mm-hmm. questions, Alex, and we'll see how much how much of the show decides to explicitly spell out versus what it you know what it lets us it's try. Implied.
2: Yeah, I will say that um, my boyfriend noted this while we were watching, and I realized it was clearly an aesthetic choice, was that there was the scene where the Egyptians were meeting and he goes, why aren't there more demons on screen? And I went, and I'm sitting there going, well, in one case, I think the Egyptians it is sort of noted that most of them are commonly some kind of bird. So I'm like, well, they could be sitting in the rafters. But the other thing is, if you had that many demons on screen, they would clutter the screen. Like it's just so much extra work that would have to be done that I think it was an aesthetic choice to have them there, but at times sort of maybe not pay close attention to where they are and
1: what they're doing. Yeah, I didn't I didn't even register that the demons. I just assumed they were somewhere else. You know, I didn't assume that I didn't assume the Egyptians didn't have them. I just assumed, I don't know. Oh yeah. Everybody has them. them. Well, yeah. it was also because I'd explained to him one of
2: the things about demons, which it's just are sort of etiquette that's established in the book is
1: that um uh, demons that cannot ever. go far from their owners
0: <laughs> yeah oh yeah, yeah no that's 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 fair
1: they're just like questions that as a viewer that's never seen it
0: Cool. okay so i think one other big aspect of again something we're setting up for definitely down the line is the magisterium <sighs> yes. um the yeah. not
2: so thinly veiled evil
1: catholic church Yes. yeah i actually wrote that magisterium are they the catholic church and then a few notes down yep the catholic church <laughs> the cardinal thing gave it away didn't it uh, yeah. well what what's interesting is that i was raised catholic so oh, the heresy yeah. is what got me when that's what I was like oh is this supposed to be the catholic church when he's like oh you we don't say that you know the good and evil and we're gods or whatever it's like that's heresy i was like ah, that's a, that's a catholic word you oh yeah in any other christian, like, in christian other christian denominations they don't usually say heresy um, yeah. And then obviously with the priest, like even before they said father, like he looked like a he had priest. The collar. Like it yeah, looked like that, a priest collar. And I was like, yeah. oh I, I mean
2: I loved all those details because they are this very seemingly shadowy organization. In the book and we don't really get scenes with them so it is sort of the big thing with an adaptation how are you going to show the magisterium because they are kind of the, the true evil especially of the, the first novel and i mm-hmm. love that they gave this sense of it is an organization with a lot of power that's really yeah. running the show even i mean just that big empty room they were in was just like oh yeah okay, grandeur, this tells you there would be a lot of people in this room. And just the way they're talking, like never raising their voice, very calmly saying, oh, well, we can't have that. We're going to have to deal with it. It just tells you like, oh, they're in charge. Mm-hmm. They are in charge and you are definitely an evil Catholic church, which makes sense because Philip Pullman is a pretty proud atheist.
1: <laughs> I, I, I did want to ask whose Catholic church is worse? The His Dark Materials Catholic Church or Twilight, or. <laughs> or uh, what's his name? Um, oh, oh shoot. That series of books. Oh, oh crap. What are you thinking of? Uh, da Vinci Code. The Da Vinci yes. Code. Oh. <laughs> which Catholic Church is worse? So, oh, like the, the Dark Materials, Twilight, or Da Vinci Code? Yeah. I'm going to so. go with Church the Magisterium. <laughs>
0: evaluate, yeah. yeah, that one uh, sort of minor detail I really liked was. In the scene where, with the librarian, when mm-hmm. he's lecturing to her, if you notice, he was quoting Lyra's World's version of Genesis. <laughs> and he talks about their demons took their true form. So they, they're kind of working in this the demonness into their, into their so I thought.
1: Well, I was going to say, when you said that they're not raising their voice or whatever in, like, a father scene, I actually changed my mind and said, is, are you sure this is not supposed to be the Anglican church? that's also very British, like not raising your voice and, you know, very, very professional and proper and firm, which the Anglican Church is basically the Catholic Church.
2: Pretty close. But I, I think he has, Philip Pullman has come out in interviews to make it very clear it's it's the Catholic Look, Church. Okay. Uh, so I'm pretty certain it's the Catholic don't Church.
1: Don't Though I guess don't. either way, it's organized religion. It yeah, I don't know it. where these people are going to Catholic Church because I'm like, if you ever been to a Catholic church? Like they, it's a, just a bureaucratic mess. It's like when people say governments are evil. It's like, have you been in a government building? Like, it's a mess. It's, a mess. it's never that neat. No, it's never that neat. Or maybe if they try to be evil, but I don't think they could pull it off. You know, I think it's like it's one of those things. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking
0: of bad guys, and I feel like that's not a spoiler. You already knew about that. And then if you watched the.
2: The trailer. The after, yeah. The yeah, after. it makes it really like, obvious. Pretty,
0: pretty obvious. They're not going to try to keep that, that charade up for very long with Mrs. Coulter. Um, I thought Ruth Wilson looked really good. I oh, think that, that, yes. that energy and, and everything that she had. Like you said, I was expecting a little more of a a pop when she yeah. shows up. Because, again, you get, you're supposed to have this impression of, like, this here's this glamorous, beautiful woman mm-hmm. walking into this very gang you know, all these yeah. grubby scholars, like. Um I didn't get quite get that, but certainly sure her her energy seemed on point alex how kind of how did you feel about
1: yeah her I character i didn't feel like i didn't understand why the only I was confused by why, why Lyra was taken with her, you know, but the only thing I could think of is like she's the only woman mm-hmm. you know, um and so it's like, oh, it's a woman, but I agree they were trying to make her glamorous, but I don't think they succeeded. um I love the actress, and I think she's gonna do a good job but but that specific, if that's how it's supposed to be, then I didn't get that. I also thought that her trying to suck up to Lyra was just, like, terrible. Like, she's a terrible suck up. Like, very
0: heavy-handed? Yeah,
1: like, very heavy-handed. Like, it just wasn't, it wasn't insidious, you know? Mm. So, I was like, oh, this, like, even if I hadn't seen the trailer, I'm like, oh, she's evil. Like, you know, I, I wish I'd been a little bit more insidious. But, like you said, it. we're also trying to get... Quickly that she's evil. Cause like I said, they put it in all the trailers that she's evil.
2: Oh, yeah. And I think part of her heavy handedness is also it really shows the naivete of Lyra. She's never been in a position where she's been up against somebody like Mrs. Coulter. So Miss Coulter has her basically eating right out of her hand. And she's so good at steering Lyra away and distracting her. I mean, the whole thing with Roger is we, I mean, we can tell from the trailer that she's going to be trying to get her to not think about it. But even at the early start, she's like, oh, well, that's too bad. But we need to get on this airship. I mean, constantly trying to drive Lyra away. I do agree. I wish just like visually she'd had more of a pop of color or something to really get across that this is a unique woman that she's she's has kind of a very lord asriel s intensity about her but she's also incredibly like beautiful and it's something that lyra would have never seen i think she mentioned I think she has a line where she says, I've never seen a female scholar that looks like you. Um, and in the book, it's like, oh, they're just as drab as, like, the male scholars. So seeing somebody like Mrs. Colton mean, like, oh, you're a scholar? Oh, you're an explorer? I
1: mean, she, to her, it's just like, this maybe, is my new ideal. Maybe they had made her accessories more Amelia Earhart. Like, Asriel looks like an explorer. Yeah. So maybe they had made her more, like, Amelia Earharty kind of. Or I don't know if you ever saw, um, shoot, um, Penny Dreadful yes oh my god make her look like eva green yes (sighs) yeah something like that where like either her jewelry or she has like a cool fur coat or something to say that she's an explorer you know very very much that i think she does in the book have like a like a fur coat
2: or something she is though described always as just very glamorous looking
1: so i think i wish costume wise they would have made it Mm. more like more obvious like Ezreal. Is obviously an explorer like he he dresses and looks same thing yeah. with Lin-Manuel Miranda the way he's in the trailers the way I've seen him you know I'm yeah. like oh this guy's yes. an outdoorsy explorer type you know so she never had something like that so mm-hmm. maybe wearing pants you know mm-hmm. like the old-timey director pants maybe I don't know yeah. something to tell me sure. so you could see why Lyra is like wow you're not a scholar you're an explorer how cool you know
0: talk about the Egyptians. um we are introduced to them in this demon settling rite of passage ceremony which is new this is not something that was in the books just i guess maybe thoughts on that i thought it was kind of nice
2: i liked it a lot because i'll admit this when i was a kid i was really dumb and thought Egyptian meant like egyptian so literally, that's how I imagined the Egyptians the whole time as a kid, because, again, I was dumb. I'd also never heard a term like gypsies. I'd, so like it, it had no reference point for me. I liked it a lot. I do think it actually um, is, again, talking about bringing in hints or elements of the future books and the world mythos of the His Dark Materials, bringing in early the idea that it has something to do with puberty, like really that point where you've hit puberty or essentially had your first sexual awakening as the third book makes pretty dang explicit. Um, I like that it's in there and it's sort of normalizing it for us where it's like, oh, to them the demons settle, but they don't really think about it. And and I think part of it is because demons are normal in their world. Like they're there, everybody expects them to be there. Everyone expects them to eventually settle and that the settling says something about you as a person and then also in some cases your culture because it seems like a lot of the Egyptians pretty much have bird demons. Um, And even uh, Tony Costas settles as a hawk. And I'm like, well, that makes sense. They're travelers. They need something that can travel with them easily and fly and scout and very much like the Egyptian culture. I thought it was a really nice ceremony. It brought a sense of this is a culture, this is a community, and and they and so when Egyptian t- children are going missing, you understand why like they very are are so tightly knit, and they band together so easily, and everybody comes to help everybody. I I liked that sense of community because that was something I always felt with the Egyptians, even when I read the book as a kid, even if as a kid I mistook them for being Egyptians and I was a dumb child.
0: Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I think I mean it's certainly an easy mistake to make that's only only a letter difference um yeah I liked it it is gonna be interesting to see how like you said the the you know amber spyglass makes it pretty explicit that that demon settling occurs somehow related to like you said a sexual awakening of some kind if that ends up holding, it's gonna it's gonna be kind of interesting to look back at this ceremony because you
2: look at Tony coffinton like dude
0: Heck. Who are That's you looking right. at? Good for you. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's weird. It's going to be a little
2: strange. Oh, it's going to make everybody stop and think, like, wait a minute. Hold on now. Hold on. You
0: know, and I, I think it's a nice way you, you, we get these these kind of, again, parallels of Lyra's world versus mm-hmm. ours or Will's world. And, you know, the idea of a... You know, a coming of age ceremony, of bar about mm-hmm. or a consignera, or a confirmation, or something. You know, it's not sure. religiously tied, but but the idea of that is, it's it's um, there. It's you know certainly there. All right, so I, I do want to I want to talk about Ma Costa.
1: Oh, uh, let's
2: let's sh- talk about how I have questions about Ma Costa.
0: Okay, good. I'm glad I'm not. Feeling-
2: no, I yeah I have questions. I Mainly, she feels so much stronger in the
1: books. Yes.
2: Like way more centered and. I can understand being frantic over your child being missing. And it's always very clear in the books that she is concerned about Billy. She has that scene in the first book where she's like running around the market hysterical because she can't find Billy. But then it's like after that moment of the initial just terror and grief of where is my child? She like pulls herself up by the bootstraps and is like, all right, we're getting my kid back next. Like, yes. this is how we do it. Whereas in the, in the show, they've made her so frantic.
0: Yeah. Uh, And I think some of that also has to do with her, the actress's physical size. I I always, you know, in my mind, I always imagine Ma Costa as a large, not a fat woman necessarily, but like just larger and and imposing and kind of, you know,
2: I mean, she's described that way. I mean, yeah, we're through the eyes of a child in the book, so she might seem bigger than she actually is. But yeah, she's described as this like big, like physically strong, powerful, like woman. And I'm sort of going, you're really slight. Like yeah. you're
0: small. It's, and I it... could and I could buy that, but then you combine that, like you said, this this really frenetic, kind of almost unhinged yeah. way that he is playing her. And it's it's very jarring. I mean Makasa yeah. is one of is one of my favorite characters from the books and and like you said, she she, she is certainly upset by losing Billy, but you know, she immediately sees Lyra and tries to help her, even though mm-hmm. she's also worried about her child. Like, there's,
1: mm-hmm.
0: And I you don't get that impression at all from, from the way she's being portrayed.
2: No, um, she's like, um, she's hysterical to the point that she's not thinking straight. And it's sort of like, that's not Ma Costa. Ma Costa always thinks straight, even yeah. when she's distressed, which she clearly is. I mean... Again, we're in the spoiler territory. She was Lyra's nanny or nursemaid. And so when Mrs. Coulter's actual husband rolled in to, like, challenge Asriel to a duel, she scooped up Lyra and went into a closet and was like, okay, I'm not getting in the middle of that. I know what I'm doing. I'm staying quiet and I'm staying here. And even Asriel describes her with, you know, I believe with a good amount of respect for her. Um, Yes. Like, so I'm like, this woman is supposed to be that woman? To hold yeah. on, hold on a minute. I will buy it, and of course, like I'm even wondering if they're going to bring that side bit in, given we've revealed Lyra's parentage or at least half of it so early. I have a feeling yep. we might not bring that up.
0: It, yeah, I mean, they may they may gloss over it, it completely. Uh, I like the portrayal of the Egyptians. I think, uh, and you had written or kind of notes here the idea of. These are out, or somebody had maybe with Shelley, but the the idea of them being the outcasts, you know, you mm-hmm. see physical disability, you see they seem to be. I don't think necessarily more racially diverse than the average population. No, world, but, but
2: certainly for the way I'm sure people might have been expecting this show to go. Um, mainly because it's interesting how I watch a, I watch a lot of British television, but people who are not super familiar with it seem to think that. The Brits are just all white people. <laughs> and I'm like, um, you'd be surprised if you went there or watched any amount of British television. Like, hi, Idris Elba, what's up? Um, And so I looked at them, and, and I do like that they kept this sense of they're almost like an eclectic culture that just came together. It's yeah. very hodgepodge seeming. And that to me fits the Egyptians. They feel like a whole bunch of in any other way could be different people, but they're all bound together by something else. This feeling of yeah. being, like, outcasts, just sort of just outside the norm of society. I mean, they're boat dwellers. They're travelers. That's how they stick together.
0: Well, speaking of, speaking of racial makeup, I guess. Aha! Uh-huh. Um, are we supposed to assume that Billy is La Casa and John Fah's kid?
2: I don't think John... Pause. her husband I think who was the guy who was with her when Tony went through his coming of age ceremony who was a black man I do believe was okay. meant we were just saying that he's I don't know Pa Costa did he have a name in the book did we even know him in the book
0: I don't remember him being around
2: yeah I forever just am like Ma Costa was there anybody else important besides Tony and Billy
0: well which is do- yeah which is why I asked that question because the, the moment that they had the very pissed of episode two is seems like much more than just at least to me it seemed like more of Egyptian you know Egyptian king subject mm. I guess um moment it was very you know and then the fact that you know like you said Billy the, the child the actor that actor they have is pretty obviously biracial so
2: mm-hmm. which was kind of nice because I'd, I'd actually funny enough as a kid even though I totally misunderstood what Egyptian meant <laughs> um I imagined him as a slightly darker boy because they, they kind of describe him as having like darker hair and darker eyes. And so my in my head, even as a kid, he was just like a darker kid. Um, again, this probably went with me mistaking Egyptian for Egyptian. So hey, <laughs> he was immediately gonna at least be like golden tan. But I was like, I like this. I mean, it's it's a nice little thing. And um, though speaking of Billy, the kid who plays him, I mean, man, he just radiates like innocence. He's, and
0: he's very cute.
2: He yeah, is. Yeah. And him with Radder. Oh, my God. Because they've really done a good job of making the Gobblers seem very scary. I love how the first episode, they are very shadowy. You never see the person. You always usually see their demon. And the demons are shown like, it's like a horror movie. I mean, the fox in the corner with, like, these bright glowing eyes. It's like, jeez. Okay, I wanted nightmares for a week.
0: Yeah, no. There, the demon design has pretty much. I mean, universally been really good um, to the point where, like, I really, I had a very hard time imagining what, I was what Mrs. Coulter's demon looked like.
2: The monkey. I expected it to be like bright gold. Like, I, right. I was imagining like almost like spun gold is what I thought it, it, its hair would look like. But it's almost more burnished. Um, and I was. What was also really interesting was seeing in episode two, her kind of giving her own demon a smack. i yes, never yes. imagined that from Mrs. Coulter, unless I'm forgetting something.
0: I, I don't remember. I don't remember that specifically. I also don't remember. We seem to be, or they say it explicitly, that she and her demon can, can separate.
2: Yeah. I don't remember that being in the book specifically. Yeah. Yeah. I almost feel like it's something that may have been mentioned. Oh, because I think, doesn't Pan at one point tell Lyra that, that the monkey was, like, poking around their room while Mrs. Yes. Coulter was, like, at a party? So maybe it can go a reasonable distance. I'm trying to think. Because yeah. that would have been at least a floor in between them, I think.
0: Sure. Yeah. So I, I don't know if we're supposed to assume that this is, like, which level separation where mm. Or mm-hmm. whether that just maybe slightly large, large I mean that makes sense you know that maybe people certain people's demons would be mm. more adept at going further versus others and and both of them are very sort of strong willed independent you yeah. know.
2: So, they reflect each other
0: well <laughs> yeah. but yeah seeing her smack him is kind of the idea of person on demon violence is not introduced at all in the the main series we get nope. a you know lot of it in book of dust
2: yeah you do
0: Uh, because
2: in this one the original series it really was a lot of demon on demon violence which we see in episode two and it was just i mean it's just as shocking as it should feel because in the book it comes as such a shock when this you know monkey just like launches itself at pan and I, i think actually that episode handled it really well especially when it was lyra needling mrs coulter like really lyra I mean per usual she's headstrong and stubborn and sometimes not very bright. Um, yeah. <laughs> just really which, keeps like, poking the bear.
0: Which speaking of casting like we said Daphne Keane is oh my god fantastic. So good. The way she's playing Lyra I think is, is really spot on. Um yeah.
2: she's she's nailed it. Like she has that bit of like stubbornness, the headstrongness but it's not to the point where it's like irritating. And that was the thing about Lyra, which we can all laugh if anybody has listened to the audiobooks. The reader for Lyra is so obnoxious. That voice just should have been burned. Bless. Um, but Daphne King has found that way to bring in all of the headstrong, stubbornness, this scrappiness that Lyra has without it feeling like
1: too much.
0: And and charming, like you can tell when she flips the switch and, you know, this is, this is a, a, you know, a girl, a young woman who's grown up in an environment of mostly, you know, adults and adult men. Yes. And and knows how to kind of flip the switch and, and say, all right, this is me trying to get what I want. And yeah, she really has that.
2: Just that great scene when she's first at Mrs. Coulter's apartment and just like flops on the bed. I was like that. That's Lyra, like being the kid lyra enjoying something nice a moment, and even just saying don't we deserve to have nice things you just go oh my gosh yes you do lyra just not from mrs coulter right. and speaking of mrs coulter like oh my gosh i'm i'm in love i think kind of like we mentioned with lord asriel they're doing a really good job of sort of humanizing mrs coulter yes. and a lot of that i do think comes to the fact again the books are in lyra's perspective especially the first book i mean she views her like a demon well, like yes.
0: a from hell. No A, yes. And yeah, no
2: A. Like, she views her as very just evil. And not to say Mrs. Coulter is necessarily a nice person. Do I think she's full-on evil? Okay, first book, it's admittedly questionable.
1: Um, admittedly well,
2: questionable. But we understand, I mean, that bit where she knows immediately that that magisterium dude is talking to Lyra. She has that motherly moment of, don't you touch my baby. And just, you know, comes out and is like, absolutely not Lyra, get out of here. But she's still mad at Lyra um, and everything else. I think um, Ruth Wilson is doing a phenomenal job playing the many layers of that character. Same with James McAvoy's Lord Asriel. I mean, both of them are taking two very complicated characters and finding a way to do equal parts, the kind of nastiness that's in both of them, but also bringing the human that's in there.
0: Yeah. What are, you, what are you feeling is sort of in the, the larger scheme of the story? First of all, and we, kind of, we alluded to it, I think, earlier, it, the reveal of Azrael as Lyra's father much earlier than we have in the books and, and fairly early on. Um, I thought the reveal itself was really well done. You know, she kind of mm. matches herself at the moment of anger. Like, I, I like mm-hmm. that a lot. I do, too,
1: you especially know.
0: because
2: we know there's this kind of competitiveness between Coulter and Azrael, especially because they're on opposite sides right now. But you can see how those two... Well, we know that Mrs. Coulter is Lyra's mother. Funny she still hides that from Lyra. I mean, she has no choice but to reveal Asriel because she let it slip. And she's like... And you can just sort of see it as she said. She's like, shit. Uh, meant to keep that a secret, but oh well. Um, th- but there's still that competitiveness between her and Asriel. And you could also then see how, how they totally came together. Like, I can see these two very strong-willed people coming together but also in a way never be it was never gonna work they're both too strong-willed it's like putting fire and gasoline together
0: for sure it will be interesting to see how they like you said that's not been revealed in the show that she is Mm -hmm. her mother Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and and based on the little teaser it seems like maybe they might be revealing that next episode we'll see but how long they keep that under wraps for the people who don't know
2: yeah, because I'm trying to remember in the books, isn't that almost reversed how it's revealed to her? Isn't she revealed to her that Coulter is her mother before she finds out Asriel is her father? Or am I imagining that wrong? It's They're no, really you're... close together.
0: What, uh, yeah, and I'm trying to dig into my... <laughs> it's,
2: I, I know, I'm like, I,
0: I should have been smart months.
2: and brought the book down here. I'm downstairs, my bookcases are upstairs. I should have brought that book downstairs so I could flip through it.
0: I think it's the Egyptians that revealed to her that Coulter is her mother. I d I don't remember where they the... do reveal to her
2: that Azriel is well, I'm pretty sure they also reveal to her that Asriel is her father because it's John Fah who tells her, at least I'm pretty sure it's John Fa who tells her that, hey, this is how the whole Coulter Azriel scandal went down. And by the right. way, Makasta was your nursemaid. That's why she's kind of always kept an eye on you, even though, you know, she's boxed your ears more than once. <laughs> because you were basically a alien. Causing trouble. But yeah, it is interesting how early we're bringing this in. I suppose it's sort of you need to get it out of the way. It doesn't really serve a narrative purpose to keep it hidden for that long.
0: Yeah, I think I, I do appreciate where, you know, there's eight episodes total, so we're a quarter of the way through, you know, what will be the first season. I, I you know, I'm, I'm holding on to some of this stuff, you know, for big reveal moments until mm-hmm. later. To like you said, because there's going to be a lot, a lot.
2: Mm-hmm. I was going to say that I'm definitely interested in when they're going to get her to start really playing with the alethiometer I'm pretty sure it doesn't happen until she's with the Egyptians okay. anyway. But that to me is going to be so exciting how they decide to visualize that because that's going to be one of those moments where I go, I'm not really sure how you're going to do it, but I'll know whether or not I think you've done it right when I see it.
0: Yeah, I mean, like you said, if Foddercorum who
2: quorum that's who it is. Thank you. No, he's the one
0: that explains to her the kind of the principle behind it except mm-hmm. but it doesn't he doesn't know how to use one himself but he just tells her how to use the dial hey side note thoughts on the design of the alethiometer
2: um i think stuff? it's fine i i mean it, it's sort of close to sort of what i always figured it would look like i mean they as much as i mean okay so we call the first book the golden compass that was not its original title it's I guess you could almost say air quotes here, correct title is Northern Lights, because the first book really is all about the aurora and the city beyond it. Um, I think the US just called it the Golden Compass because they wanted that to match the subtle knife and eventually the amber spyglass. We love things to match. Um, nice.
0: Yeah, it said some things.
2: <laughs> and we just love matching things. So. I mean, if I think of, I I thought of when they would describe a compass, because I was imagining this sort of like 1900s-esque world, I imagine like a much more old-fashioned, clunky kind of compass, but then with all the different symbols, and I'm like, okay, it, it looks pretty close to the skeleton of an idea I had in my head while reading it. Like, It doesn't look totally out of place. It looks like something that's a little older for this world, which is what it's meant to be. And I think, but I do think it's a lovely design. I quite like it. I'm fine with it.
0: Yeah, it is not what I had pictured. I had thought something more of like a clock Hmm. clock face with dials around the outside. But Uh I think if, you know, going with the golden compass idea, it does look like a fold, you know, one of those compasses that sort of folds open and then... Yeah, like like an an old
2: maritime kind of compass. Okay, so let's see what else, what else.
0: And then we have her, she escapes.
2: Yeah, which then... was pretty close to how it was like in the book. So I remember she does escape during a party.
0: Thoughts moving forward. Um, it looks like, you know, the next episode we were going to get... Egyptian content. Know, capture, <laughs> escape, and then she ends up with the Egyptians, which will be great. Um, and yeah. then the... the oh, Egyptians... yeah, they
2: have the, like, great meeting thing that they have.
0: Yeah. And then um, they
2: all go north, which is really where the fun become yeah it's where it gets fun let's be real it's fun once they get to the north yes because we'll get lee scoresby and we'll get especially york burnison i can't remember they've had to have announced who's voicing york burnison but i can't remember and it's interesting how in all of the teasers and the trailers they haven't had him speak which i find interesting because that's such a big part is that armored bears can talk (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> that's that's true. I, I it's either they are saving that for a big reveal, or for people
2: you don't know, I guess, yeah.
0: Or they are not had not settled on a voice design. A voice design. Yeah. Them.
2: Which is the uh, smartest thing they could have done because we all know what happened with the Sonic trailer when you debut things and it doesn't look good.
0: Not to reference to it often, the movie would shall not be made. But oh. you know, Ian McKellen, not not the right. Too old. Not right fit for that.
2: No, which is sad. Great voice. Just yeah. did not fit that character. It was, like I said, he was kind of too old. As weird as that sounds. I think you needed a slightly younger, much more gravelly, gruff kind of voice. Especially if you're going to contrast it then with yofer when we get to him. Or Jofer? yes Is that how you pronounce this? Yep. I never, I was always pretty sure I was saying that wrong. It's okay. Yorick, I always thought was Iorick.
0: <laughs> <Well>, yes, <laughs> I, that's. Until I heard the audiobook, But yeah, Yofer and Yorick. Mm-hmm.
2: What's it? Yofer
0: uh,
2: have- Yorick, Burnison. Rackneson. Is- thank you. I'm like, Rack. it sounds similar, but not quite. Yeah, that'll be interesting. I'm also, I'm very curious to see Lin-Manuel Miranda as Lee Scoresby. Because the big hullabaloo when he was cast, and I'll admit I was part of it, is that he's too young. Like, Lee's yep. supposed to be an older dude. Like, 50s, like 60s, I want to say. And again, the uh, movie that should not be named. That was actually pretty good casting.
0: That was about the best cast. I mean, that was Sam like Sam Elliott playing a Texan. I mean, come on. Yeah,
2: yeah, I mean, how can you go wrong? Which is why I'm looking at Lee, going, okay, so we're making him a little younger. Not to say that like Lee Manuel Miranda, Lynn Manuel Miranda. Oh my gosh, um, is like a baby, but he's definitely young to play that character. It'll be interesting. I, I, I like Lynn, so I'm very hopeful that he's going to be able to bring that like. Gravitas that Lee Scoresby has. This sense of like, you've traveled, you've seen shit, you've done shit. If he can bring me that, then I'll totally be able to bypass his age. Oh. And it'll probably also make his death in book three all the sadder. I know. I, it's just, I'm going to look at him and go, oh my God, I'm going to have to have you die and it's going to suck. Oh, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt so bad. It's going to yeah. hurt so bad. <laughs> That was one of the most traumatic deaths in the whole series.
0: It that was, was like- never going to make it back to his his ranch and and just with Hester
2: to- too. She was such a good demon.
0: I yeah. love her.
2: Okay, but yes, I'm very excited that we're probably going to get to North. If not by the end of next episode, I would say the episode right after it.
0: Yes, I'm I, my my expectation would be kind of what you were you were thinking with. You know, we will prepare to prepare to go to the north. Mm-hmm. Finally, have
2: figure out the alethiometer at the with the Egyptians. I think that's going to be the big thing of the next episode is her working out the alethiometer.
0: Yeah, also, looks like we're getting some some kind of interaction between the Egyptians and Mrs. Coulter.
2: Oh yeah, which was like, oh, that I don't remember from the books, but you know what? I'm okay with it. We've we made it very clear they're... she wasn't nice. <laughs>
0: Yeah, because Benjamin DeReuter definitely, they send him off to do some spying. I like we're going to combine that with, you know, having him have a conversation with Mrs. Coulter, which definitely makes sense.
2: Yeah, I think that definitely works, and it includes her in more of it, because she's a very recognizable figure. We know she's leading the Gobblers, and it'll give us just more insight, sort of, into what's going on. Speaking um, of that, did you like the bit where they cut to, um, like, Billy Costa and Roger finding each other? And, like, I'm going to call it, like, the gobbler camp, for lack of a better word.
0: I liked their chemistry as far as a necessary scene. Yeah. It you know, seemed a little superfluous, but, again, I I, see, I like both of their acting. And the idea of giving us a little bit of, oh, by the way, here's kind of what we're fighting for, you, you know, yeah. the that were, I, it works. I could, you yeah. know, I can take it early.
2: Yeah, it was one of those things where I went, I like that we brought this in because we've sort of skipped a lot of the ideas that, like, the Costas and Lyra and Roger, like, they all know each other. Because um, we didn't get a lot of those interactions, because obviously for time reasons, we weren't spending an extended amount of period in Oxford watching her, like, run around and do, like, brick wars or mud wars with Egyptians or whatever the heck she was doing. So I like I like that sort of as a nod to, like, yeah, they know each other, which is nice. And it, it, like you said, it gives us the reminder of this is why we're doing this these kids but yeah i agree like it didn't need to be there but i was like oh, you know i'm not mad at it. it gives me a nice moment to be like please don't forget about these kids this is why we're doing this
0: all right well i think that that's probably a good place to stop um mm-hmm. next week's episode is called the spies
2: and <laughs> we know we'll those egyptian times egyptian
0: uh, <laughs> and we'll be uh, uh airing on the 17th of november here in the u.s so uh thank you very much Mm-hmm mad and um, uh, thanks for listening and we will be back next week
2: His Audible Materials is a podcast from Backroom Whispering Productions. Check us out at backroomwhispering.com
1: This episode was edited by Shelly Bakshi and music was by Alex Liu. If you'd like to get in touch, tweet us at his cast or send us an email hisaudiblematerials at gmail.com. Tune in again next week!